ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಕಾರಣ ತಂ ನಮ್ಯಹಂ ಇನ್ ಅಪರೋಕ್ಷ ಅನುಭೂತಿ ವಿ ವರ್ ಸ್ಟಡಿಂಗ್ ನಿಧಿಧ್ಯಾಸನ ವೇದಾಂತಿಕ್ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ you know when studying vedanta there are three stages first shravana hearing or systematic study manana where you reflect reason and then nididhyasana which is just a fancy word for meditation sanskrit word for dhyana meditation now we are in that stage uh, studying what exactly is vedantic meditation and the author adi shankaracharya has taken a very interesting approach he has borrowed terms from yoga yoga is actually the science of meditation so they are experts in meditation he has borrowed the terms from yoga and then changed the meaning he has given new interpretations in the light of vedanta so 15 practices to stabilize us in the awareness of brahman or in the our identity as brahman 15 practices Uh, all of these terms are borrowed from some aspect of yoga or the other especially eight of them are borrowed from the famous ashtanga yoga of patanjali in the patanjali yoga sutras you will find ashtanga yoga so eight of those uh, the terms are borrowed from the eight limbed yoga of patanjali but then there are others also seven others so total of 15 terms we have already seen um yama niyama then maunam tyaga and uh, four of them i think maunam and tyaga yes tyaga and maunam correct now the fifth one will come in each of these cases we have seen the basic yogic practice followed by the advanced vedantic practice the advanced vedantic i would not say practice but interpretation let us go to verse number 110 the next one next practice will be desha desha means literally space but also means place place 110 adavante cha madhye cha ಆದಾವಂತೆ ಮಧ್ಯೆ ಜನೋಯಸ್ಮಿನ್ನ ವಿದ್ಯತೆ ಜನೋಯಸ್ಮಿನ್ನ ವಿದ್ಯತೆ ಏನೇದ ಸತತ ವ್ಯಾಪ್ತ ಏನೇದ ಸತತ ವ್ಯಾಪ್ತ ಸದೇಶೋ ವಿಜನಸ್ಮೃತ ಸದೇಶೋ ವಿಜನಸ್ಮೃತ so that solitude is known as a space wherein the universe does not exist in the beginning end or middle but whereby it is pervaded at all times what does this mean first the basic practice the yogic practice we all know that there are places which are conducive to meditation to contemplation to quietude and there are places which are not huh so you can go to a temple or to a meditation hall 
and sit quietly for meditation. If you go to a sports stadium where the Yankees game is going on, you can't sit quietly for meditation. It's not just because of the sound or the place, it's the very vibration of the place where your mind is turned outwards. You're forced to look at what's going on there. So in the mall, it's difficult to sit and meditate. But if you go to um, a mountain cave, it's easier to sit and meditate. So a place, it dip, some places are conducive to meditation and that is what is meant by Deshaha. Desha means place, a suitable place. And in India or in, in different religions also, you've always had serious practitioners seeking out suitable places for practice. We know of yogis who go away to mountains and sit in mountain caves in, in uh, as, he's, as he writes, solitude. In solitude or in forests. We know of the desert fathers, the early Christian fathers who went out into the desert. Why the desert? Why not the city? The desert because of the solitude of where you are left alone. Vivekananda put it very powerfully. By the world forgotten, and the world forgetting. What are you looking for? By the world forgotten. And the world forgetting. So everybody in the world has forgotten you. You don't look happy at that thought. It is the happiest state possible. We think that the people in the world should think of us and remember us and I will think about the world and I'll be happy. That is the trap. And we have been in this trap for life after life. God knows how many lives. Vivekananda said, Thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on. Let go thy hold, sannyasi bold. Say Om Tat Sat Om. If you don't want to be hurt, you don't want to be dragged from lifetime to lifetime, then you must let go of your hold on the rope. What is the rope? The world. The attachment to the world is dwelling on the world and worldly things and people, object, outside. Now, the interesting thing is the world forgets you very fast. I can tell you that as a monk. The world forgets you very fast. Maybe your mother might remember you a little bit for some time, but everybody else forgets you very fast. It is the, the monk knows that it is harder to forget the world. That goes away slowly, it takes more time. It takes more time to drain it from your mind, where we have sunk the mind in worldliness. People in the world are busy with their own lives, so they'll forget you very fast, if you drop out of their lives. But because we have sunk the mind in worldliness, so uh, the, to remove the world totally from the mind, that takes sadhana. So the world forget, forgotten and the world forgetting, he says. So that is solitude. In the Bhagavad Gita also, Sri, uh, Sri Krishna says, the yogis are, are supposed to seek uh, solitude away from the crowd. Aratir Jana Samsadi. In 6th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna uses a phrase, dislike for crowds of men. Dislike for the, for gatherings, for crowds. Somebody says, but I love crowds. 
and what about being alone i hate being alone A terrible condition terrible condition that means you can't left you can't be left to your own company when you are alone when we are alone whose company do you have your own company if you cannot stand that then why should anybody else stand your company <laughs> if i cannot stand my own company i i myself with myself why will i how can i expect anybody else to bear with me so those who cannot stand solitude they cannot stand their themselves i told you the f- funny story i think earlier once about the teacher many years ago in i was in one of our ramakrishna mission schools and uh, one of the teachers in the school a very humorous gentleman he was a teacher of bengali but he was always up for um any kind of the substitute classes you say when one teacher is not there so somebody else comes and takes the class gives the class so he would be ready to teach any subject it's not just bengali but if you t- say science or mathematics or anything on on earth he would be up for it and he would say i'll go to the class and teach that subject and we would always wonder how did he manage every subject on earth so one day there was the english teacher was absent it was i think grade 7 or grade 8 and of course this gentleman volunteered i'll teach english poetry and so he went off to teach and we were sitting in the teachers common room and suddenly this gentleman in the middle of the class period he came in in a cloud of chalk dust flustered he rushed into the teachers room where we were all sitting i was a novice monk at that time i also used to teach the students there so this gentleman rushed in and we looked at what happened he looks very flustered and he goes to the uh, dictionary and he opens the dictionary he flaps through the pages uh, flips through the pages and then rushes off again in a cloud of chalk dust when the class was over he came back and we asked him what was that why did you suddenly come in the middle of the class he said oh you don't know the troubles i have seen today i went to teach poetry and it was grade 7 or 8 and they were studying wordsworth the solitary reaper so one of the little boys stood up and asked sir what does solitude mean and then this gentleman said i have heard of latitude and i have heard of longitude i have heard of attitude i have heard of altitude but i haven't heard of solitude what is solitude and i told the boy good question keep standing i'll be back and he ran downstairs to the where the dictionary was and he found out what was solitude anyway just just by the way so yogis are those who are supposed to seek solitude desha place means where there are no crowds where you are left to yourself that's why they seek solitude those who seek crowds not not a very spiritual inclination remember later on in advanced spiritual states whether you are alone or in a crowd you are perfectly one with god it does not make a difference you can be in the midst of thousands of people absolutely calm or by yourself and absolutely peaceful um but in general what happens to most people is when they are left alone they are lonely i mentioned i think that in england they have appointed a minister of loneliness so loneliness is a big problem if you're left alone you're scared because you feel lonely 
and if such people are put in a crowd of people they feel extroverted their minds are uh, in a dozen different things both will not do in spiritual life it will not be uh, it do, does not pay to be extroverted and loneliness is not a sign of spirituality one must enjoy solitude so solitary places are especially the favorites of yogis or meditators but that's not enough just a solitary place is not enough it must be conducive to spiritual thought and often one interesting thing i've noticed is different places i have visited stayed tried to meditate often it is a pilgrim center a place a sacred place where there's a temple something associated with spirituality a lot of people have practiced meditation for centuries together there is a certain vibration in that place and if you go there although there are people around although it's not really solitary but your mind is more meditative i have seen i'll give you an example i remember once i went to this place seeking solitude I knew what solitude was so <laughs> seeking solitude and uh, a very beautiful place up in the himalayas a strip of land with the ganges flowing by very fast and two mountain rivers coming down so it makes a triangle three rivers and in between there is this strip of land and old old temples there and they allowed monks to stay there and absolutely solitary um <laughs> i wanted to ask there was another the temple priest would come once in a day in the morning so i would ask i asked him once where do i take a bath and he said you can go down to this particular river it's safe it's a mountain stream and you need not be shy swami because there's nobody around so i used to go and take the take a bath the next day he came back and said swami i forgot to tell you you should watch out for the bears <laughs> i should have told me yesterday i would have been <laughs> i happily went there and took my bath in the river but i would have been terrified if there i knew bears were around so solitary places have their problems hmm. now i did not find it particularly spiritual it was very beautiful but not particularly deep or or elevating in contrast i found the other place i went to on that particular trip uttarkashi which is um, now quite a crowded place there are people uh, it's a district town there are a lot of people um, so uh, but there your mind gets meditative almost automatically it's at times of the day mind becomes meditative almost automatically so it's not literally that there if too many people are there it's not uh, conducive to meditation and if you're completely alone it's conducive conducive to med- meditation again not necessarily mm. if you go and sit in the jungle you might think that your mind will become concentrated quite the opposite i assure you you will be you will keep jumping up at every little snapping of a twig and every little movement in the forest and in the bush you'll think maybe a tiger is coming or a leopard is coming or something is happening that it, it's it's quite scary actually go and sit under a tree people won't bother you but then mosquitoes will and then then there'll be uh, ants making uh, a, li- a queue to climb up on your meditation mat or something so there are other other problems other than people and people to one swami said 
he went to a remote place so that he will be away and quite some distance from the nearest village so uh, he would go to beg in the village for his food and come back and in the distance in the remote place he would sit and meditate under a tree one day one of the villagers who was very devout said swami you did not travel so far to the village i'll come tomorrow with your food the swami said okay and the next day this villager came with the as promised with a bundle of food spread it out before the swami and um, then the swami looked at him and aren't you going to go back to the village and the villager said no i don't have much to do in the village i'll spend the day with you till evening <laughs> that's it <laughs> solitude gone <laughs> so holy company that, that reminds me of a funny joke that swami ashokananda somebody wrote in san francisco somebody wrote to swami ashokananda lady that swami i want i have a desire for holy company and the swami wrote back to that lady i am very glad to know madam that you desire holy company but the real question is do the holy desire your company <laughs> so solitude sometimes the holy might want their solitude they might not want people at all, all hours coming and talking but this is also remember it's a stage in spiritual climbing those who are established in spirituality they are very happy in the company of people they are very happy when left alone i remember one monk i met in the himalayas he lived there all year round in gangotri so uh, if if i describe him if you have seen the movie lord of the rings and the magician was there gandalf yeah long white robe long white beard exactly like that his beard was even longer his punjabi very tall fair and long white robe and long his brahmachari so white robe and white beard and he used to stay in this little hut i stayed in the hut next to his so i used to talk with him his name was brahma chaitanya now all year round he would stay uh, he would uh, sit and meditate throughout the day he would go for food i would accompany him to beg for food and so on so i said and that was the tourist season the pilgrim season so there were a lot of people who would come to visit and the children loved him so they were they were in awe of him with all those long beard and he looked so so they would crowd around him so one day i asked him um you are uh, now there are people who visit you we are there some people come the children come uh, so you have some company but in the winter months when there is nobody nobody at all it's just snow all around for 5 or 6 months in a year and just nobody around so what do you do then and he's in answer i'll tell you in hindi and then translate ab maze mein hai tab aur bhi maze mein hai i am very happy now and then at that time i'm even happier i'm most happy now and at that time even happier when there's nobody around okay so solitude good for conducive for meditation but more than just a solitary place it's a spiritual place which is conducive for meditation even if people are there so you go to a place like banaras or vrindavan puri jagannath or other places pilgrim places you go to one of the ancient temples of the south you more than 1000 years old sit in a corner of the stone uh, you know the nath mandir or somewhere 
These structures are more than 1000 years old. Sadhakas have done spiritual practice for centuries. You will see how quickly your mind becomes absorbed. But that is the preliminary practice. What is meant, what does he, Shankaracharya mean by desha, place, solitary place? What is solitude according to Shankaracharya? Here desha they have interpreted in the sense of solitude mostly, solitary place. He says, that is solitude, that place is, is solitary, where there is nobody in the beginning, now or in the future. There never was anybody, there is nobody, there never will be anybody. In the midst of a crowd, can you be completely alone? You see, nobody is there. What is this solitude then, when there is nobody? That is Brahman. Brahman is non-dual, without a second. The absolute is without a second. Satchidananda without a second, an ocean of existence, consciousness, place, without a second. That you are. If you stabilize yourself in that awareness, you will see that there nobody else exists at all. If all the universe is one with you, follow this, if the entire universe is one with you, it means there is no second entity. No? No, not, not getting across. Let me give you an example. In your dream, you see, you see a lot of people. You meet a lot of people. Maybe you are walking in, down a city street and you meet so many people. Some you know, many you do not know. People are coming and going. It's very busy. And suddenly you wake up. You're sitting on, on your bed. It was just a vivid dream. Now let me ask you. Look back upon your dream. That busy street, so many activities, so many people, cars and buses and all of that. Really speaking, how many were there? there? How many? Zero? You are counting yourself or not? One. There was no second person apart from you, the dreamer. That whole city scene in which you were there and many others were there, all of it was dreamt up in your mind. It's completely desolate of people. There's no second person there. It looks like you are there and many other people are interacting. Friends and people you know and people as who are strangers and things are happening. Nothing. Only you are there. Is it true or not? Do you understand the example? No, even the example is not clear. Okay. Exactly like that is the situation now. For the spiritually enlightened, they realize one Brahman alone exists. And the entire universe is one with that Brahman. All beings in the self and the self in all beings. How many selves are there? One self alone. When you realize that. That is real solitude. Never was there anybody or anything apart from you. Never will there be anybody or anything apart from you. Right now also there is nothing apart from you. They are all your own self. But here self does not mean the person. As persons we are different. Bodies we are different. Little persons in the mind we are different. But behind all of this is the one son of consciousness of which we are raised. That son of consciousness falling upon these little whirlpools of matter. 
don't uh, go by the language I'm using. The language is just using for the sake of conveying a message. These little whirlpools of matter, consciousness reflected in them, starts acting as a person and different persons. But behind all of them is one consciousness. That is the alone. Alone with a capital A. I think it was the Christian mystic who defined spirituality, maybe Mr. Eckhart or somebody, as the flight of the alone to the alone. Alone, small a. Flight of the alone to the alone. The second alone is capital A. Alone means, the first alone means the jiva. In a very practical sense, we are all alone actually. We are born alone. We die alone. See, but in between we have many people. No. In between also we are islands. We communicate through this, through our senses. We see other people. We transact with them like going in a train journey. Some people come and sit next to you for some time and then they get off. Or you get off. So we are in the middle of life also, we are alone, actually. So this, this is the small a alone, the jiva. And the capital A alone is Brahman. The flight of the alone to the alone. But don't worry, Brahman is not lonely. Because Brahman is one with everything. Brahman is perfect identity with the entire universe, oneness with everything. We sometimes get an intuition of an underlying oneness. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes a feeling of oneness with everything. That is an intuition of the reality which exists underneath the diversity. That oneness is real solitude. And that solitude exists always. So if you are established in that solitude, you need not run away to a mountain cave to find solitude. You will find solitude in the middle of the crowd. You will find solitude in the family. You will find solitude in your workplace. In walking in Times Square, you will find solitude. Absolute peace, the peace and quiet. Vivekananda said the peace and quiet of the desert, of the mountain cave, you can find while walking in the middle of Times Square also. I think he used the words, there were a busy street in New York, he used the word Swami Vivekananda. <laughs> You can find the Himalayan quiet there. It is absolutely true. Literally, he was not being rhetorical. He literally means it. Because Brahman, in Brahman, established in Brahman, you always enjoy solitude. Now he says, at the beginning and then the end and in the middle, where there is nobody. There is only one reality. By which, by that reality, everything here is pervaded. Establish yourself in that reality, not in the world. Then you will have true solitude. When? All the time. Whenever you want, you'll have true solitude. Vivekananda, in another place he says, He who runs away from the world to meditate and die in a Himalayan cave has missed the way. He who plunges headlong into the foolishness, the luxuries and, and the, the vanities of life, he has missed the way. So if you plunge into life, you miss the way. If you run away from life, you have missed the way. Then, then what, what is the way? He says the way is to divinize life. Is to see God in everything and everybody. Wherever you are, with whomever you are, you see God there. If you can see it there, you can see it everywhere. So that is solitude. In one word, 
the the place or space the yogic practice is seeking a solitary place a place which has spiritual vibration that's good one should do that that's why you you feel like meditating when you come to sevedanta society but the advanced practices the 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 higher vedantic conception of space is solitude is brahman in one word brahman itself the absolute itself it is the real solitude next 111 kalanat sarvabhutanam kalanat sarvabhutanam brahmadinam nimeshata brahmadinam nimeshata kala shabdena nirdishto kala shabdena nirdishto item in the 15 steps or 15 aspects of meditation vedantic meditation next aspect is time kala time we are always advised by our gurus that when you meditate have a fixed time sit down in the morning and meditate sit down in the evening and meditate why first one reason is that um, mind gets used to a certain rhythm so at that time itself you will feel like becoming quiet and sitting quietly and thinking of god that's one reason psychological but there is also a natural reason there are times in the day when it is um times which are conducive to meditation just as some places are conducive to meditation there are some times which are conducive to meditation early morning is one of them evening is one of them night is another time specific moments in specific places swami brahmananda was very sensitive to these things so he would say a spiritual current flows in in the holy places at particular times he said in belur math and bhuvaneshwar he said it is 4 am in the morning 4 am in the morning this time specially suited for meditation time kala in kashi he said it is from 3 am to 4 am you might be thinking none of them are convenient times <laughs> it is 3 am to 4 am well in puri it is more convenient it is 2 pm in the afternoon he said in puri jagannath puri in vrindavan he said it is midnight he this is a yogi's mind very sensitive to at times when the spiritual vibration is very strong you sit and meditate quickly your mind will become concentrated on god so there are places where your mind becomes concentrated easily and there are times 4 am is known as brahmamurta brahmamurta the the time the moment of brahman the time of brahman so in the main monastery in belur a bell is rung to wake you up so that you can go and catch that moment and sit and meditate one swami in the himalayas put it this way that he who does not see the light of the rising sun who sleeps through the light of the rising sun 
the light of brahman will never shine on his life <laughs> so it's a good practice to get up early in the morning and meditate but don't be disheartened if you don't do that so light of brahman will never shine well you are the light of brahman so don't take that literally but it's a very good practice there are times when um, meditation is easier kal or time sandhya these are coming from the word sandhi sandhi means the meeting point of two two the, the movements of nature so night to day a daybreak that's one juncture then midday the day becomes afternoon then evening as after as the sun sets so these are three different times when rich, uh, spiritual ritual rituals or prayers are performed the time so sandhya so different times are there pujas you know time a particular time for pujas for rituals a particular times are there auspicious times good times for meditation now what does that is the usual understanding of time now to understand what uh, shankaracharya has said here you i think you already know what he's going to say what is time brahman no doubt about it he's going to say that <laughs> but what does he mean here to understand that see time one aspect of time is time is seen as the origin of everything so then all things are born in time they exist in time and they die in time also but in time all things are born all things are manifested things come into existence things come into appearance in time so time is seen as that which originates which helps in the origination of things source of things kala is the source of things now in that sense he says there is one reality which is the source of everything in the universe from the highest of the gods brahma not brahman but brahma all the gods and heavens and creatures and earths and hells all of them are produced how long does it take brahman to produce the universe a few billion years he says nimeshat in the twinkling of an eye in our scriptures there are descriptions of how from the atman uh, space was produced from the space air and from the air fire from the fire uh, water from the water earth how with their combination the worlds were created life evolved so that must have taken some time that's one way of looking at srishti called krama sequential creation but there is a higher understanding of srishti which is instantaneous creation of the entire universe to understand that again think of the dream yeah. when you go into a dream an entire universe if you're dreaming of new york or in this weather you're dreaming of california <laughs> the pacific ocean and the sunlight and say san diego and the beach and all of that you're thinking of how long did it take you to create that did you say i have to start with the big bang no do you start each dream universe with the big bang no instantaneous he says nimeshat in the twinkling of an eye you create i create in our own dreams from brahman the appearance of the entire universe is exactly like that because after all it's not a real creation it's brahman alone which appears as this in ignorance a universe in knowledge if you see through the names and forms it is brahman only so because it is the source of all things brahman is called kala time 
Because time is the source of all things. Brahman is really the source of all things. So it, it is called time. Brahman is the real time. In fact, space and time and causation come after Brahman. Space, time and causation are called Maya. It is Brahman through space, time and causation which appears as this universe. So, time is ultimately not real. Space is ultimately not real. Causation is not ultimately real. Ultimately, they are all Satchidananda. If you remove the, the changes in time, that which goes and comes, follow this carefully, that which goes and comes in time, hours, minutes, seconds, remove that. You come to a timeless state which is Brahman. Time is an illusory appearance, something superimposed upon Brahman. If you go to the ground of that illusion, you will, reach, you will go beyond time and you will reach Brahman. That is your, our own self. So time. And he says, what is time? Akhandanandako advayaha. The non-dual bliss is time. Brahman, the non-dual bliss, is the source of all time. Next practice. <clears throat> we have done Yama, Niyama, Tyaga, Mauna. Mauna means silence, Desha, Kala, time and place. The next one is Asana. Asana means sitting. Here we are back to the sequence of Patanjali Yoga. Do you remember the eightfold yoga of Patanjali? The eight limbs of Patanjali's yoga? Yama, Niyama, Asana. Can anyone tell me? Pranayama, Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, Samadhi. So the eight limbs of, of Patanjali Yoga is the ultimate science of meditation. The science of focus, of meditation. So eight limbs. Yama and Niyama, the preliminary moral practices. Then third one is asana there. Asana means how to sit. So here he has come to this asana, sitting. You will ask, do I have to learn how to sit? Yes, not only you need to learn how to sit, next you have to learn how to breathe also. We think we are doing it properly, we are not. We, we don't sit properly, we slouch. And that is not good for meditation. One meditation teacher, very unsophisticated but effective meditation teacher. I heard him giving instructions for meditation. Hilomat, bolomat, sochomat. Don't move. You get, oh, okay, freeze, <laughs> don't move. Don't speak. Don't think. So, very crude, no sophistication there, but it works. So the first one is don't move. The first thing about uh, asana is, can you sit without moving? It's not as easy. You think, it's, that's easy, I can sit, just sit. No, it's not that easy. If your posture is not right, you'll be forced to move again and again. Not only that, the human body is continuously moving and vibrating. I read an article by one of those Olympic rifle shooters. Competition, target, they try to hit a target and the shooter was saying that it's only when you are trying to shoot a target which is a long distance away and even a slightest 
trembling of your hand can throw your uh, shot off mark then you realize how much the body is trembling how much the human body is trembling and one thing they do very interesting is just at the moment of shooting they have to hold their breath it's kumbhaka it's basically pranayama at the moment of intense focus our breath automatically stops have you seen a tiger or a cheetah hunting just before bursting into activity and chasing the prey it will absolutely still like holding its breath so um asana stillness is required how to sit and in yoga in hatha yoga there are variety of asanas suitable for meditation they may seem uncomfortable lotus position you'll say my knees are hurting or foot or feet are hurting but once you practice them they are actually they have been designed to help you to sit properly for long hours without moving so in fact the definition of asana is the asana means sitting the posture in which you sit actually there are two meanings of asana literally it means the see this is an asana this this thing i'm sitting on the seat on which you're sitting that's an asana so even the chair would be considered an asana but actually what is really meant is the posture in which you are sitting so yoga hatha yoga has multiple postures called asanas and some of those postures are actually specifically meant for meditation most famous we have heard of padmasana lotus posture but difficult you can get a pain in your knees very soon there are different postures vajrasana all of those asanas meant for meditation they have a common definition the definition is that which you can maintain easily without moving for a long period of time sukham sthiram without moving and pleasant it should not it, none of them are pleasant to begin with once you get used to them they require a degree of little bit of physical fitness so then you can maintain it for hours in in our main monastery in belurmat i have seen a 70 year old monk sitting for 8 hours at a stretch i had to get up a number of times in between whole night sitting there in meditation yeah, sitting at 9 o'clock in the night 9 9 um, uh, and then uh, getting up at say 5 uh, o'clock in the next morning absolutely not drowsy not going off to sleep not sitting like this <laughs> absolutely straight so that shows tremendous focus somewhere inside where is absorbed and the world forgot that is real asan they say asan siddha asan siddha means somebody who can sit in the same posture for a long time not easy that hour after hour sitting steadily without movement it shows not only the body is steady but the mind is also steady if the mind were not steady the body would also move how steady should we keep it should not be a physical rigid thing if you are rigidly trying to keep it steady then you will become tired very soon and aches and pains will develop in different parts of the body so it should be a relaxed sitting but not slouching as far as possible relaxed sitting straight if you don't sit straight you can yourself see if you sit straight it's easier to concentrate the mind if you sit like this sign of depression you will very soon feel depressed if you sit like this so sitting straight different asanas are there if you go to yoga teachers they will teach you 
other than easier easier asanas than than padmasana two are being mentioned here just for example one is sukhasana literally it means the pleasant sit asana sukha means happiness pleasant another another one he will talk about is siddhasana but these are just samples now these are different postures of sitting but you know what shankaracharya means by asana what do you think he means brahman yes he has a one point agenda what is real asana that is brahman let's see first 112 sukhe naiva bhavet yasmin sukhe naiva bhavet yasmin ajasram brahma chintanam ajasram brahma chintanam आसनम तद्विजानीयातरत्सुखनाशनम नेतरत्सुखनाशनम दैट नो दैट टू बी द रियल पॉस्चर रियल आसना इन विच यू कैन मेडिटेट हैप्पीली ऑन गॉड ऑन ब्राह्मण not anything else which gives rise to aches and pains and you know you have to fidget and move around that is not asana so asana is somewhere you can sit comfortably that's why many people especially in the west and now in india too in these days they find it difficult to sit on the floor so can we sit on the chair of course after all look at the definition the definition is where you can sit comfortably for a long time and think of god that's as easy as that so that's asana that that is the yogic definition of asana what what does it what is it like sukheneva in a very pleasant way brahma chintana majasram continuous ajasram means numerous but continuous flow of thought about brahman where you can have that easily naturally know that to be asana not anything else which produces aches and pains and you have to struggle with it if you are if you are meditating on the pain in your knee while sitting in an asana your posture may be perfect but your meditation your mind is on your knee not on god so mind should be on god not on your knee if it helps to change your posture do that if it helps to sit up in on a chair do that but keep the mind on god so that is the yogic definition of asana now shankaracharya says what is uh, what is the real meaning of asana according to advaita vedanta here a little bit of sanskrit that's why i've got this book there is a commentary on this aparoksha anubhuti by um, the great vidyaranya this book was written about 1500 years ago aparoksha anubhuti vidyaranya the author a famous author of panchadashi he wrote a commentary on on the aparoksha anubhuti in sanskrit and that commentary in that it's very helpful to understand some things so there he says how this idea of asana where you can sit and think about god easily without any aches and pains how that means brahman he gives the right uh, the interpretation this is requires a little bit of reinterpretation in sanskrit there is a word in this verse sukheneva now if you split it up analyze that word in, in english it means easily or pleasantly 
if you uh, split it up it becomes sukhena eva which means in this way pleasantly so in this way pleasantly if you think about god that is asana that posture so that's one way of splitting up the of the word now vidyaranya takes up another way of splitting up the word which is i would say pretty clever he says sukhena eva split it up this way sukhe naiva यस्मिन् सुखे सुखरूपे ब्रह्मणि चिन्तनम् नैव भवेत् चिन्ता नैव भवेत् ब्रह्मन् सुख मीन्स ब्लिस ब्लिस इज ब्रह्मन् सो इन दैट ब्लिस इन विच थॉट्स डू नॉट कम दैट्स द मीनिंग ऑफ सुखे नैव सो देयर टू मीनिंग्स ऑफ दैट पर्टिकुलर फ्रेज दैट पर्टिकुलर वर्ड one meaning is where pleasantly in this way you can think about god that is the preliminary yogic meaning the other meaning is the bliss in which thoughts do not intrude sukhe sukhe means in that bliss which bliss brahman naiva chinta no thoughts will come no thoughts come into that bliss so that bliss that satchidananda where thoughts do not intrude that is asana stay there i was just reading today in a life of swami brahmananda he tells swami vasudevananda that um, you know when you meditate drop all thoughts from the mind it will not you will think the mind will become a vacuum it will not what is left behind is the shining brahman he says he said when this there was a pitcher of water if you empty the pitcher of water from all the water then you appreciate the space inside when the water was there the space was there also at that time but if you ask what is there in that pitcher you will say water you don't appreciate the space if you empty the water the space becomes clear and then swami brahmananda says what i have taught you now this you can understand to some extent through vedanta vichara what we are doing now vedanta vichara what vedanta vichara the inquiry vedantic inquiry what it tries to do is while the picture of water is there while water is there in the picture through your intellect through your understanding try to understand the space is also there though the water appears the space is also there that's what vedanta is trying to do right here in this world in this thought in this body mind within our daily activities it trying to discern brahman to find and stabilize yourself in the background consciousness not easy he says the yogic path is you empty the water then the space there becomes evident if you empty the water in the picture then will not the space become evident Vedanta says when the water was there was the space there or not yes and say no the space was filled up it was filled up or not it must have been there otherwise what where will the water stay not only that the space is not affected by the water does the space become wet <laughs> the jar becomes wet but that particular space will it become wet wet no so Brahman is right here in the midst of all your thoughts happy thoughts miserable thoughts worldly thoughts religious thoughts in the middle of all of this Brahman is right here 
but we are unable to separate that satchidananda from thoughts so the yogic path is empty your mind of thoughts then brahman becomes or that satchidananda becomes evident the teaching is not complete but you have a question hmm Ah, oh, he's asking face can become holy or not. Yeah, uh, there when you say the earlier practice of space, there it means desh, a place, a place. It becomes holy by association, by vibrations. Space as such is always holy because it's untouched by anything. Now the teaching is not complete here. Brahmananda went on to say something further. The yogic method, he says, is to empty the picture. You think then the mind will become vacuum if you empty all thoughts, not vacuum. Satchidananda becomes clear then that there is a witness consciousness. Then he says another way is remove the impure water. You fill it with noble thoughts, thoughts of God, sattvic thoughts. Then what will happen? The word, phrase, the word phrasing is very interesting. He says those noble thoughts will clearly shine in the light of Brahman. So, he says, for example, if you think of the name and form of Ishta Devata, of God, then it will shine in the light of Brahman. Everything is shining in the light of Brahman. Even an unholy thought is shining in the light of Brahman. This I am adding, Tika, Tippani, <laughs> commentary. Brahmananda did not say this. Even an unholy thought is shining in the light of Brahman. But there the mind is fixed on the unholy thought. It misses the, uh, that, that uh, Brahman which is consciousness itself. But a sattvic thought, a holy thought, a spiritual thought is somewhat transparent. So when that appears, same light of Brahman, light of Brahman means pure consciousness, Brahman itself is light. But that holy name and form does not obscure the light. It, it reveals the light itself, yes. Yeah, most of it is space. Most of every molecule, in fact every atom, most of it is space. But we are still going on with the example. <laughs> but here, uh, so this one, one way is to fill up the mind with the mantra of God, with the form of God. That name and form, a holy name and form, do not obscure pure consciousness. So then Swami Brahmananda tells Vasudevanandaji, that today what I have given you is a very secret instruction. Practice it secret. Uh, practice it sincerely. You will get illumination very shortly. Yes. Are there any signs for people who are on this path, just taking baby steps? Hmm. Where we are, maybe we are in the right direction. We are pointing to that Brahman. Within ways. Your question is whether we we are going towards Brahman or not. Yes, um, any number of, uh, of of signs are there. What are the signs? In general, the signs are uh, you have an increased pull towards God, towards spiritual life, and a decreased pull towards the worldly life. That's in general. But small things will be there. Things which used to bother you so much earlier, they don't bother you too much now. Things which would disturb your peace of mind earlier. They don't disturb your peace of mind so much. 
things which had no interest for you earlier in philosophy and spiritual life and the, those you find very sweet and very very nice to read about think about these are all signs of the mind becoming satvik and being pulled godward if you don't want like the use of the term of god you can say towards the spirit towards atman towards enlightenment so there are numerous signs that we are not sinking back in general don't worry whether i am on the right track or not as long as you are on the track you are okay if you jump off the train then that's a problem but as long as we are on the track it will become more and more uh, intense over time so he says that is sukhasana one of the postures of sitting is sukhasana the present asana so one the sukhasana in the yogic sense means what where i can sit comfortably for a long time and do japa and dhyana meditation repeat the name of god that's the yogic practice what is the advaitic idea sukha itself is asana sukha means brahman bliss that itself is the asana are you steadied in the bliss of brahman bliss of brahman or brahman itself which is ananda swarupa are you stabilized in that then your asana is correct no matter what you are doing walking talking and doing puja going to the office whatever jogging in the park or whatever you are stabilized in brahman that is sukhasana then another example he takes this is called siddhasana is another meditation posture um trying to translate into the posture of the siddha perfected the posture of the perfected 113 we'll do that and stop here also you know what he is going to say what is the real meaning of siddhasana brahman siddham yat sarvabhutaadi siddham yat sarvabhutaadi vishwadhishthanam avyayam विश्वाधिष्ठानम अव्ययम यस्मिन् सिद्धा समाविष्टा यस्मिन् सिद्धा समाविष्टा तद्वै सिद्धासनम विदुः तद्वै सिद्धासनम विदुः दैट इज दैट व्हिच इज द ओरिजिन ऑफ ऑल बीइंग्स एंड द सपोर्ट ऑफ द एंटायर यूनिवर्स यू ऑलरेडी नो व्हाट इट दैट इज ब्रह्मन व्हिच इज अनचेंजिंग इम्यूटेबल and in which the enlightened are completely merged that is known as siddhasana if you go to a yoga teacher and ask siddhasana you'll immediately he or she will teach you it's sit like this put your this thigh on that thigh and sit like this and straight it's a very good posture for meditation uh, you have to be a little flexible but here he says what is siddhasanam where all beings are established or where they all beings come from which is the substratum of the universe substratum of the universe means what is the reality of this universe it's like asking what is the reality of this altar wood we normally say what is it made of it's wood rather vedanta would say the, the reality is wood and it has the name and form of an altar the substratum of this altar is wood look at the ocean the waves there the substratum of the waves is water the substratum of the golden ornament is gold what is the substratum of the universe the brahman that now you have attended too many vedanta classes immediately i'll say brahman is the substratum uh, in what sense you can say in the sense of isness 
What is the one common unchanging thing you will find in everything that exists? Existence itself, isness. That being, pure being, isness. It's everywhere. In fact, everywhere exists in, ex uh, in, in pure being. Even time and space, time is, when you say, that means isness is the substratum of time also. Space is. If it were not so, then space is not, space would disappear. If, it is, if is cannot be applied, then it will become is not. So being, sat, in Sanskrit sat, sat means pure existence or pure being. Pure being is the substratum of the universe. You think, okay, so pure being is substratum of the universe, such abstract, dry things. Not abstract, dry, it's you. We're talking about you. In Chandogya Upanishad, when the teacher... Shwetaketu's father talked about pure being, sat, pure existence. I'm sure Shwetaketu also looked bored. Hmm, okay. High philosophy. What have I got to do with it? And then his father said, famous, most famous uh, equation in Vedanta. Tattvamasi Shwetaketu. That thou art, O Shwetaketu. That pure existence, thou art. Now you cannot, Shwetaketu cannot say anymore, I'm not interested. How can you not be interested? It's you. What is the most interesting subject in the world? I. Hmm. I. This person. For me it's the most imp important thing. I was just reading um, a book by Robert Wright. He says how meditation promotes happiness. And he writes in a humorous way. He says, I, uh, I firmly support happiness, especially mine. I'm a firm believer in happiness, especially mine. Similarly, you're a firm believer in existence, especially mine. I should exist. So when he says, you are that existence. So that existence is the support of the universe. Anything, all the things that come and go. All things that come and go, they come and go from that being, that existence. In Sanskrit there are two words, sadhya, siddha. Sadhya means what you want, your goal, sadhya. Siddha means what is always there, what is ever there, permanently ever achieved. Siddha means achieved, permanently accomplished, ever accomplished. What is sadhya, what is the goal? For the unregenerate. For the unrefined, for the instinctive, karma, artha, pleasure, wealth, power. That seems to be the easiest way to happiness. That seems to be the direct way to happiness. Such people are called in Vedanta, Pamara. Pamara is a term which means uh, the unrefined, instinctive life. Nobody has to be taught that. So, you go immediately go towards pleasure. This will give me pleasure. It will give me a flash of pleasure. I'll do that. Sing, dance, be merry. One um, young uh, lady who came here, she's working in a company. She said, all day long, my colleagues, all other young people working in this big multinational company on Wall Street, they're all slogging away from morning till night. And then... Uh, they are earning a lot of money. And then what do they do with that money? When they, when they get that money, they will go out hopping from one bar to another, from one discotheque to another, or shopping. 
from one window to another shopping. <laughs> so why? It is happy. It's pleasurable. Is that good or bad? I will not say directly that's bad. But what is what is necessary is if you will want to try that out, try it out intelligently. Do it sometime and then see, did it make me happy? Did it give anything lasting? You'll see very soon nothing in it. Time is flowing away. Money is flowing away. Energy is lost. What have you retained from that? Nothing. Even repeating it again and again. How many times will you repeat that? So intelligent person will see through that. That's the first level. Sadhya, the term sadhya means goal. Not pleasure or wealth. The higher, uh, more sustainable uh, approach is that I, I want pleasure, I want success in life, but within decency, within morality, something sustainable. Environment should not be damaged, society should be supported, I should be able to help people. All of these good goals in society, for the environment, for the society. Children are always taught this in schools. What will make for a more harmonious society, what will make for a better environment. So still the goal is power and wealth, wealth and, um, and enjoyment, but sustainable. So that is called, sadhya becomes dharma artha kama. Not just artha and kama, artha and kama, wealth and pleasure. But wealth and pleasure on a foundation of morality and ethics in a sustainable way. Such a person is called vishayi, a worldly person, but a decent worldly person. What Most people in society are law-abiding folks. Are, they would like to think of themselves as good people. And society has to be built on a foundation of such people. If all were just out to make a quick buck, society would collapse. So that's the next level. But they have a sadhya, I want this. I want karma, pleasure, artha, money, but on the basis of dharma, basis of morality. Sadhya, that's the goal. Then you go further. That's not the goal. The goal is whatever the higher religion, spirituality is telling me, God-realization or nirvana or moksha or enlightenment or salvation, a spiritual goal in life. Not uh, just chasing the um, this pleasure and power and wealth. So such a person, what is the goal? Moksha. Remember the goal is sadhya. Sadhya means to be attained. So what are we trying to attain? Now we are trying to attain moksha. The other things become, are still there in life. They become secondary. They are not the reason for living. The reason for living is spiritual reason for living. Still we are seeking something. Sadhya. There is a reason why I am why I'm saying all this. I am going somewhere with it. Then such people are called sadhaka. Spiritual seekers. So about most of the people who come to this place, the Vedanta society, they are in some sense or the other sadhaka, spiritual seeker. Otherwise they wouldn't come. There is something higher than sadhaka also. And here is the point of saying all this. It's called siddha. The word which was used, siddhasana. Siddha means person who is already established is not seeking anything. Not seeking pleasure, not seeking wealth, not seeking dharma, morality or ethics, not seeking enlightenment also. Shankaracharya sings, 
न धर्मो न चार्थो न कामो न मोक्ष चिदानंद रूप शिवोहम शिवोहम दैट इज सिद्ध दैट इज कॉल्ड सिद्धासन यू नॉट सीकिंग स्पिरिचुअलिटी ऑल्सो वाई बिकॉज ऑलरेडी इन नोज दैट स्पिरिचुअलिटी आई कैन नेवर लूज इट इट इज माई ओन नेचर established in that i can never lose it even trying also i cannot lose it i am brahman always was am will be this little show which i call this life it's now a show it's not my a to z it's not my be all and end all once one has realized that one is sitting in siddhasana the posture of the perfected so that person may be sitting like this may be sitting in a chair Maybe walking around, maybe being upside down in the shirshasana, head headstand, or whatever posture it is, it is siddhasana, established in the reality. What is the posture of the perfected? The perfected are ever established in reality. We are established in dreams. That's why the sand is always shifting under our feet. So siddha established in reality. so asana that takes care of asana sitting by now you have got a suspicion that everything that shankaracharya will say ultimately he will bring it around to brahman and you will be right but on in the process we will learn many things it's an indication for our spiritual life when we are meditating so is it enough to keep a posture correct or is it enough to, is it more important to keep the mind on god that's what is pointing towards are you established in yourself in your reality as aham brahmasmi that's the point of all of these practices okay om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna rupanam astu very good